spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Super Light Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com. Code SUPER24. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories. Stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Smirconish Podcast for Independent Minds. Governor Palin, Sarah Palin, has reportedly tested positive for COVID-19, potentially delaying the start of her defamation trial against the New York Times. Her positive test was disclosed by the judge who's overseeing the trial. He explained this in court this morning. Judge Jed Rakoff said that he learned of the positive test on Sunday night and that Palin would be taking a second test to confirm the result. He also said, and I found this quite interesting, quote, she is, of course, unvaccinated, Rakoff said. So I don't know if it gets underway today, but it's certainly going to get underway soon. And I believed and still believe that I was ahead of the curve on this on Saturday on CNN, just as I had here on POTUS last, was it Thursday or Friday that Bill Gruskin was my guest? He from the Columbia Journalism Review, he's a professor at Columbia But he had written for the Columbia Journalism Review, geez, a year, maybe even two years ago in detail about Sarah Palin's defamation action against The New York Times. Tuesday. You were well ahead. Wow. Yes. Um, Did you notice that this weekend, like everywhere you turn? Everywhere. And And all of a sudden she's trending on Twitter. Oh, yeah. The whole thing. And and people are now wondering. she? (laughs) Yeah. People are now, well, what's this all about? What's this all about? I I even read a, a squib somewhere, like a page six thing of where Sarah Palin was spotted eating on the Upper East Side of Manhattan this weekend. Well, there you go. I think she was with Colbert and Mary. (laughs) So, um, yeah, so that defamation action scheduled to get underway. I always say scheduled because for all I know, it's it's about to settle, although I don't think so. I think the New York Times is kind of relishing this opportunity. The Times reports today in a Jeremy Peters column, I'll circle back to it, that they've not lost a defamation action on American soil in 50 years. I read that line and I wondered, huh, where have they lost, you know, overseas? I don't know. Uh, The law is definitely on their side. But let me give you a little bit of background about this case in in case you missed one of my two interviews on the subject. And then I think you'll you'll be well, uh, well armed to pay attention to what's about to unfold. It shouldn't last all that long. It will probably start and finish this week. It is a different New York Times case that set the standard for defamation law. It was 1964. 
a case called New York Times versus Sullivan. I've referenced it many, many times over the years here. It stands for the proposition that there's a different standard required of a public figure suing for defamation. Defamation is libel, written, or slander, spoken, than would apply to an everyday citizen who is not a public figure. If you are a person without a public profile, if you are a person without uh, any time of, of public figure status, and that's always one of the sort of preliminary determinations in a case. Well, are we dealing with a public figure? In the case of Sarah Palin, clearly we are. But it would otherwise be a simple negligence standard. You know, Did the speaker, did the writer, did the media outlet fail to exercise reasonable care or caution? But in the case of a public figure, an actual malice standard kicks in where a public figure, in this case, Sarah Palin, has to prove one of two things, knowledge of falsity or reckless disregard for the truth. And all that comes from the famous case of New York Times versus Sullivan. This is the standard that Donald Trump and others have said needs to be reimagined. In fact, he even Trump even said it when referencing me several years ago. I'll share that with you. So what are the facts of this case? The facts of this case are really not in dispute. The New York Times made a mistake. And they issued a correction hours thereafter. So the question becomes, did they act with knowledge of falsity? Did they have a vendetta against Sarah Palin? Was this their opportunity? You know, behind closed doors... Were they sort of licking their chops and rubbing their hands together and say, oh, this is a chance for us to embarrass Sarah Palin? There's no evidence of that, according to Bill Gruskin, my guest, who read the litigation file. He read the depositions. He read the pleadings. I have not. But he said that, you know, there's no evidence of a personal animus toward Palin. Obviously, Palin's politics are not the politics of the New York Times editorial page, but according to my guest, very knowledgeable guy who invested the time, there's no evidence of that. Okay, so what's the alternative route of recovery for Palin? It is to show reckless disregard for the truth. Knowledge of falsity or reckless disregard for the truth. Was the New York Times reckless in a June of 2017 editorial That was about the shooting, you'll remember this, of course, at the congressional softball game in Alexandria, Virginia. Remember that day? Four were wounded, including the then-majority whip, Republican Steve Scalise. Could have been a hell of a lot worse that day. In the editorial that the Times wrote then, they made reference to the Gabby Giffords shooting a few years prior. In the editorial, the Times falsely said... There was a causal connection between an advertisement run by Sarah Palin's pack and the Gabby Giffords shooting. Okay, so they're they're commenting on the shooting that had just taken place at the softball game, but they're now referencing what had happened a couple of years ago. Here's the key paragraph as it was published. Quote, was this attack evidence of how vicious American politics has become? Probably. In 2011, when Jared Lee Lochner opened fire in a supermarket parking lot, grievously wounding Representative Gabby Giffords and killing six people, including a nine-year-old girl, the link to political incitement was clear. 
I'm stressing those words. The link to political incitement was clear. Before the shooting, Sarah Palin's political action committee circulated a map of targeted electoral districts that put Ms. Giffords and 19 other Democrats under stylized crosshairs. Let me stress that part. They said that Giffords and other Democrats had been under stylized crosshairs, crosshairs like a gun sight. Conservatives and right-wing media were quick on Wednesday to demand forceful condemnation of hate speech and crimes by anti-Trump liberals, their right, though there's no sign of incitement as direct as in the Giffords attack. Liberals should, of course, hold themselves to the same standard of decency that they ask of the right. I mean, clearly, they are saying that back in that Giffords attack, there was a causal connection between Sarah Palin's PAC advertisement and the shooting. That political action committee ad to which they refer overlaid those crosshairs on a map of America advocating the targeting of congressional districts. It did not lay crosshairs over members of Congress. That's another important point. The ad was controversial at the time, but here's the thing. There was no causal link found between the Palin Pack ad and the shooting of Gabby Giffords. So in 2017, shortly after they run this editorial, they publish a correction. Here's what the correction said. An editorial on Thursday about the shooting of Representative Steve Scalise incorrectly stated that a link existed between political rhetoric and the 2011 shooting of Representative Gabby Giffords. In fact, no such link was established. The editorial also incorrectly described a map distributed by a political action committee before that shooting. It depicted electoral districts, not individual Democratic lawmakers, beneath stylized crosshairs. So they acknowledged very soon thereafter, published a correction, that they had made a mistake. You know, uh, most often what you get in a defamation action is truth. Truth is a defense. There's no truth defense that's being asserted in this case. So Jeremy Peters, I said at the outset that uh, now tons of news sources and sites are writing all about this very intriguing defamation action. Well, it's for me, you know, particularly interesting to see how is the Times going to cover the trial? So Jeremy Peters has in the Times today sort of a big picture view of what this case is all about, noting, as I said a moment ago, that many conservatives a la Trump uh, are hoping that this is an opportunity, even if Palin loses, to rewrite defamation laws. It's in federal court. It's in um, Manhattan in the Southern District of New York. But it will then be appealed if she loses and could conceivably go to the Supreme Court where there's an appetite among some to take another look at defamation law. It was, I think, in 2015. I don't think that Donald Trump had even yet announced his candidacy when I somehow caught his eye with something that I had said on television. He went on Fox and Friends, did the morning show on Fox, and he made this comment. The facts are the facts. Let's see how many people actually right. correct the record now. Today. Uh, maybe maybe none, but, yeah. these are, but these are really dishonest people. I mean, right. you know, Huffington Post is, like, pathetic. Uh, you have some guy named Smirconish who I never even heard of. He goes on the air. Trump is defending the, the you know, Sterling and, 
And anybody that read it or saw it, you know how tough I was. Probably tougher than right. anybody. But uh, these are really dishonest know. people, and they shouldn't be. You know, we should reinstate libel laws <laughs> so that you go after people nowadays when they make really egregious statements. Okay, so but unfortunately, he, the libel laws. He, he, he implies, like, we need to reinstate libel laws, right, to go after someone like me, right? Um, Who as he's it, never heard of pronouncing <laughs> your name perfectly. Thank you. <laughs> That's, right. That's why I always get a laugh out of it. Every for the, single for, time. For all the it's times hysterical. I've heard my name right. mispronounced. But the point is that Trump was saying we need to reinstate libel laws as if we've taken them on, off the books. Well, the, the libel laws exist, right? Said more precisely, the, the laws of defamation exist. But I think what he's really saying is we should make it easier for a public figure like Donald Trump or Sarah Palin or Michael Smirkanish, he's not saying that, but I am, to, to be successful in a defamation act. So Jeremy Peters in the New York Times today on this point says, uh, fundamental First Amendment issues loom over the trial. Lawyers for Ms. Palin, through legal briefs and public statements, have made no secret of the fact that they want to see the courts rethink the legal leeway that media organizations have to make an unintentional error. The law currently considers an occasional mistake a natural result of a free press. Some First Amendment scholars, politicians and judges, mostly but not exclusively conservative, have started to press their case more boldly for unwinding the bedrock precedent set by the New York Times versus Sullivan case, saying... It has not kept pace with the changing nature of news and public commentary. These include two Supreme Court justices, Clarence Thomas, who suggested in 2019 that Sullivan was not grounded in the original meaning of the Constitution, and Neil Gorsuch, who wrote last summer that the standard has, quote, evolved into an ironclad subsidy for the publication of falsehoods. Those are his words. At the same time, some Republicans are using defamation allegations against journalists with an aggressiveness that media advocates say is without precedent from the Trump campaign's since-dismissed suit against the Times in 2020 for a critical opinion piece to former Representative Devin Nunez's ongoing case against a reporter now working for Politico who posted to Twitter an article that Nunez said defamed his family. The heart of the Times defense in the Palin case is that the error in the editorial was not a case of actual malice, but a mistake made under tight and routine production deadline that was corrected after it was pointed out. The statements that Ms. Palin argues were defamatory were introduced during the editing process by James Bennett, who was then the editorial page editor for the Times. The Times has not lost a libel case on American soil where laws provide much more robust protections than in other countries in 50 years. And then the final thing that I'll just remind everybody about is that James Bennett uh, is no longer at the Times. Why is he no longer at the Times? Remember this? He left in 2020 after the newspaper's opinion section published an op-ed by Senator Tom Cotton, the Republican of Arkansas, calling for a military response to civic unrest in American cities. The piece caused an outcry among readers and Times journalists. I defended Bennett, for what it's worth, saying, well, of course he should publish Tom Cotton on the editorial page. He's a sitting United States senator, and they should give him the opportunity to, to, to be heard. I thought it was to his credit. 
but it caused a huge kerfuffle at the Times, and Bennett ended up leaving. Bennett is also the brother of Senator Bennett from Colorado. He is expected, Bennett, to testify on Wednesday, a day after Palin. So uh, today's jury selection, if it goes according to plan, you know, very quickly, this case is 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 going to introduce the testimony of Sarah Palin. One last thing that I'll say about it. Uh, you know, the the elements uh, of, of a, a, a tort case, defamation or otherwise, duty breach causation damages are the four prongs. What are her damages? What are her damages? I don't really think she has discernible damages. Did she lose? Here's here would be the type of thing. Here would be the type of thing that you would assert as damages. I had a gig on Fox. And when the New York Times wrote this piece, I lost it. And I lost it because of the Times ruining my reputation. Fox News no longer wanted me associated with them. That would be an example. I don't think she can thread that needle. I don't think she can make that case. Okay? So what's it really all about? She wants to make a claim for punitive damages. Because if you meet an actual malice standard and and show that the New York Times was uh, acting with knowledge of falsity or reckless disregard for the truth, you've pretty much met a punitive damage standard. Punitive damages are damages intended to punish. And simple negligence doesn't get you to punitive damages. But if you meet an actual malice standard, you're pretty much there. So that's what she's seeking. All right. So we'll wait and see what happens with Sarah Palin's PCR test. But in the meantime, on the substance, as Paul Harvey would say, now you know the rest of the story. The Smirconish Podcast for Independent Minds. Listen to Michael Smirconish live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east on Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124 or anytime on the SXM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. You can make money the hard way becoming a bullfighter or save money the easy way with Xfinity Mobile. It sure beats making money as a human cannonball. Now through March 21st, learn how existing Xfinity customers can get a free line of unlimited intro for a year when they buy one unlimited line. That's hundreds of dollars in savings on your wireless bill. Visit XfinityMobile.com today. Restrictions apply. Xfinity Mobile requires Xfinity Internet. Reduce speeds after 20 gigabytes of usage per line. Data thresholds may vary.